What just happened? Please tell me nobody kissed me. We won. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. You ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it. We're not finished yet. And then shawarma after. The world outside your window is not great, but here on Post Show Recaps, everything is super, including the shawarma. This is the podcast dedicated to all things super heroic, presently focused on the Marvel Cinematic Universe, presently focused on phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which means we are here, it has happened, we are assembling, it's Avengers time, Kevin Mahadeo! Assemble! Assemble! <laughs> oh my god, I'm Josh Wigner. I'm joined here by Kevin Mahadeo, whose secret is he's always angry. It's not really much of a secret, we know this. It's pretty out there. We it's know this known. about Kevin. It is known. And Kevin, some weeks ago... You and I embarked on a journey. We said we would podcast about every single movie in phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe from Iron Man through the Avengers, and then we'll see what happens beyond that. Well, we've reached the moment, Kevin. Joss Whedon's The Avengers. Joss Whedon's Marvel's The Avengers. Because technically this movie's called Marvel's The Avengers, but that's stupid, so we just call it The Avengers. There's a lot of uh, apostrophes in that title. (laughs) That's like the only thing about this movie that's stupid, because the rest of it is spectacular and great and perfect and terrific. It's so fantastic, and it's funny that Uh, you started off that way. I'm surprised you didn't say, like, there was an idea to watch every Marvel movie. There was an idea, yeah. I Uh, just, oh my god, Josh. Josh's movie. Kevin. This movie. <laughs> oh my God. I had such a blast rewatching the Avengers here. As part as everything is super, if you're just joining us for the journey, uh, Kevin and I have embarked on a rewatch of the MCU. We talk about a movie. We watch a movie. We talk about a movie. We take your feedback. We rank things. We rank the movies. We rank the bad guys. We rank the post credit scenes. We rank the fights. We rank the stands. <laughs> the Stan Lee's, not the Stan Sebastian's, the Sebastian stands. Uh, is the Sebastian Stan someone who stands Sebastian the the uh, the lobster? I think it's uh, Sebastian from Neverending Story. Oh, cool! <laughs> I thought it was Sebastian. Please, uh, man, this movie, The Avengers, would be so much better if you subbed out Hawkeye and put in Atreyu. That's the uh, only change that I would make. Every movie is better if you sub if out you someone sub- and put in Atreyu. And put in Atreyu or Falcor. Falcor is like the Leviathan. Yes. Oh my! Can you imagine uh, the Hulk, Hulk just would you punching, mind scratching me right in the back? I can't scratch it myself, Hulk. Oh, that's so good. I like your voices. Those are pretty spectacularly spot on to uh, the, the childlike Empress and Oh yeah. Uh, so this is what we're doing on Everything Is Super today. We've made it to the Avengers. We've got feedback to get through. Uh, we said we would get to the Avengers and then reevaluate. We'll just spare you the suspense. We're going to keep going, right, Kevin? We're going to keep doing this. I will keep going until the end of the line, my friend. All right, well, (laughs) we're going to keep setting, like, reasonable goalposts for ourselves. So phase two. Phase two is next. We're taking it one phase at a time. Phase two, we're saying phase two is happening. 
Uh, we will make it through Avengers Age of Ultron, although technically isn't Ant-Man the end of Phase 2? Yeah, Ant-Man. As, as was also, Ant-Man was bizarrely like right after the other big one. It's weird to be like, okay, there's a movie and then there's Ant-Man. <laughs> like, yeah, so, what a strange placement. I guess we're going to talk about Paul Rudd at some point in the next several weeks. We'll make it through Ant-Man at the very least. Next week, just a programming note. We're not going to hop right into this. We're not going to go straight from the Avengers to Iron Man 3. We are going to go from the Avengers into uh, an everything is super special. We will talk about everything from uh, Phase 1 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We'll do some previewing of Phase 2. So we'll try and forecast some of our takes um, and other assorted forms of shenanigans. Uh, chicanery shall occur here, Kevin, on the podcast next week. Hijinks shall I, ensue. I don't know what that means, but I only know the word chicanery because of Key and Peel, <laughs> which is uh, a sad thing. I know it from Better Call Saul. Um, uh, so I should watch that. TV is my dad. Um, <laughs> you do cable guy? So, yeah. yeah <laughs> no, I mean Tony Vlacos. Um, all right. So let's talk about the Avengers, Kevin um greatest movie of all time or great movie in uh the history of all things that are great it's i mean it's it's one of it's those not the greatest two. movie of all time it's it not maybe it's not the greatest movie of all time but my god it's so crazy because like i went into this with, with preconceived thoughts in my head i, I thought i was at best going to give it like a five maybe 5.5 and i'm trying to find reasons not to give it a six honestly because i remember criticizing this movie for having like ah the first and second acts weren't that great it broke the marvel curse where the third act is incredible but the first and second are okay that is false like watching this now especially like that movie starts and it goes and does not stop and i can appreciate that like it just throws you in as is expected for something like this you know they've been building up this film uh over the course of all those other ones introducing the characters so it it was a point where they're like we don't have to really do too much of a recap we're gonna go and they really amped up stuff throughout the entire film they've they did so many amazing things from the fights to the fan service i think i have to call out the fan service in this movie because it's it's so great and it to me like this movie showed that you could do fan service and it's okay like it, you don't have to like keep things from fans if they're like dying to see it which i feel like other people uh do in their movies but this is like nah you want to see thor fight the hulk thor's gonna fight the hulk guys like it's great it's great josh is so good <laughs> it's very very good and i think one of the things that's uh, a, a compelling piece of the history of this movie it's it's written and directed by Joss Whedon. Uh, Joss Whedon certainly uh, a household name in the geek space, but on the off chance that you're not in that house, hopefully you're in a house, hopefully you're in a home. Um, the things that he's known for at this point are like Firefly, Buffy, Angel, uh, Dollhouse, if you were a Dollhouse fan. Dollhouse. Uh. Season two of Dollhouse is actually really, really, really great. Uh, it has one of the most compelling runs of episodes in any show, and I will I will stand by that uh, take. But Whedon had been um, a comic book writer as well, uh, had had dabbled in the comic book space, wrote Astonishing X-Men. Is that correct? That is correct. He launched Astonishing X-Men, which was a new, well... It was like a, it was like a newish take on yes. the X-Men. It was like a classic team of X-Men. It was Wolverine, it was Cyclops, it was some other people. Beast, Emma Frost, uh, Kitty yeah, Pryde. Yeah. 
it's actually one of my favorites. is in there, right? Or is that that's like kind of a spoiler? Spoiler that alert, sir, for people who uh, have not read this decade old comic. You're like, oh no, Colossus! You spoiled that he's secretly in it. Well, oops. Uh, but like, we didn't had had done interviews where he said like the X Men were characters that he could get his head around because like he understood the metaphor, he understood what made them a compelling team. Um, he understood that they were underdogs in the world, that the whole, you know, allegory of, of mutants in the Marvel universe is, you know, it's like a, a meditation on, on class warfare and racism and xenophobia and all of that. And with the Avengers, it's just like, how do you make that work? Like, you know, it's just all the Earth's mightiest heroes. How do you make that interesting? And Whedon ends up making this movie and making it interesting in a very Whedon-y way. Uh, where what Whedon is known for is for underdogs, is for like sass masters, uh, is for people who are uh, daring, clever, foolhardy rogues. Um, and he slaps that approach on these characters who are already, if not like really well-worn through phase one of the MCU, then at least showing a lot of promise. He also gets in collaboration with Mark Ruffalo to take the Hulk for a brand new spin. Um, there's also Hawkeye, uh, and so like there's <laughs> there's a lot there's a lot here, and I and I think what's compelling to me too about this is Whedon, who like is not necessarily feeling like super hot on on the Avengers coming into this, um, ends up like really kind of plumbing the depths of Avengers lore to make this movie. Isn't the first Avengers comic book? Isn't the very first issue of the Avengers? Isn't it a team up against Loki? Yes. And uh, does Loki even like try to turn the Hulk against them in the comic book, or am I making that part? Up? That might be possible. It it has been a very, 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 very long time since I've paged through the very first Avengers issues from uh, 1963. I want to say, um, but yes, their Early first villain at least, yeah. was Loki. Uh, was who they fought. So it was amazing to like have that be a big come around that uh, I remember people talking about and hoping for. Before even um, you know the reveal showed up that oh yes Loki and is going to be the villain after the end of Thor, um, it was a huge deal to do that and it's really interesting to I didn't know that 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 we didn't couldn't really wrap his head around the Avengers but I kind of get it from a weird writing perspective right like to me the characters that you know and love you have the story you want to tell you kind of have these thoughts about them and it's almost like. You feel like you already need everything you know going in. And sometimes it doesn't always end up with you telling the best story. But when you're faced with characters you don't know, you sort of have to try harder. And I think that almost compels a writer to be forced to tell a better story because you're telling a story about why we should care about these characters because you yourself are trying to convince yourself to care about these characters. So that's really interesting to know that about Whedon and his take on this. That said... This movie like, like has a lot of Whedonisms behind it. As a person who loves Joss Whedon's works, um, you definitely see it, especially in the dialogue, which I absolutely adored and loved. I think this has the strongest dialogue in any of the movies we've seen so far. Um, and also, bizarrely, like the jokes. The jokes are so good. They're great jokes. Uh, the whole, like, I understood that reference about the flying monkeys... Because Captain America definitely knew what the Wizard of Oz was. Right. Like, established theater goer Steve Rogers definitely saw Wizard of Oz a couple of times. And told people to be quiet if they tried to say anything during that film. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But it's so weird because, like, you know, when you, when you watch shows and when you, when you, when you watch movies, there's always like this idea of like setup and payoff. 
But like he does that with jokes, like the $10 thing, right? Like that's something that was set up scenes earlier and pays off later. And he does that several times throughout this movie. And it's something I hadn't noticed before with Whedon, but he's very good at that. Like this idea of setup and payoff, even down to dialogue and jokes, which I think is part of the skill of what makes this movie excel, is that there's things that happen later on that call back to early on. Whereas other movies are just like the joke is the joke. That's it. We move on. We have the punchy dialogue. Then we go. But like there's a lot of layers and levels to, to the stuff that goes on here. And I think that's... Part of what made it so good, um, amongst all the other things that made it so good. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think one of the things that made this watch of the movie, for me, so enjoyable, and just in case you're wand- wandering into the Avengers podcast without knowing the full drill, we, we do go full spoilers on the future of the MCU through the established release uh, of uh, Avengers Endgame, and I guess technically Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, so uh, tune out now if you have not seen those movies and you don't want to want to get spoiled on anything. But I think watching this movie through the lens of like not just Endgame, but like the whole breadth of the of the history that has yet to be made at this moment in the MCU, but the history that you and I know and people who are listening to this know because we've seen you know twenty plus Marvel movies now at this point. Just it made me feel in a time where like things feel so bad like so often and like how like you just feel like a raw nerve on your best day. Um, it made me feel like I was hanging out with uh, my old friends in college or something like that. You know, like it made me feel like young in a way. Like it made me, it, it made me, it just made me feel happy uh, to see Cap and Iron Man interact for the first time and not get along easily. And like when they finally do see eye to eye, that just like, felt richer. Um, The fact that there's a lot of narrative echoes in this movie that are going to reverberate all the way through Endgame. The whole idea of you aren't the guy who would lay down on the barbed wire. Uh, You're the guy who's always going to find, you know, a secret shortcut. Uh, Sometimes there are no shortcuts. You're not the guy who's going to make the sacrifice play, uh, Cap telling uh, Tony. And then Tony going ahead and, and risking that here in this movie and actively following through with it in a point of no return style in Endgame. Um, so just like the, the book ending qualities of these movies, which, you know, that's more uh, a credit to the Russo brothers and Kevin Feige ultimately, who are going to shape the narrative uh, of Endgame and, and um, uh, gosh, uh, Marcus and, and McFeely Fergus. And I don't know, I'm forgetting the names. It's so bad of me of the, of the screenwriters of, of uh, the, the great uh, future uh, Avengers movies. Um, but it's, it's more testament to them there, but just like to see that stuff here made me feel really connected to that material, made me really excited about this being not just like the culmination of the last several weeks for us here in this timeline of watching these characters assemble again uh, for the first time in a long time, um, but also like that payoff to the years of buildup up to this point from 2008 to 2012 here, um, and really, really excited about the journey that we're on, should we be so fortunate as to make it all the way through uh, the Infinity Saga here for for everything is super, which I'm optimistic that we will because it was just such a joy to revisit these characters um, and to, to see the science bros, to see Tony and Banner, to see, um, you know, the beginnings of the friendship between Steve and Natasha, like all of that. Like this is why these movies are celebrated less as like individual movies and individual uh, trilogies within the thing. It's a TV show with the biggest budget in the universe. Yeah, and like I think it's great that you called out all that stuff that like 
things that I remembered and sort of forgot, but like the warm embrace of an old friend, which we can't have physically anymore right now. But in, in, in the sense of like seeing these moments, the science bros thing was so great. And I wrote that down in excitement and also just the characters and their personalities are so interesting. I think every, every person in here has a unique personality trait, uh, a reason for being on the team. Um, the, the one I want to call out first and foremost is black widow. Like it's, it's crazy because we, we praised Black Widow in Iron Man 2 for her fight scene, and that was really cool. But I honestly think this intro to Black Widow is far superior and one of the best intros to a character because what you get here in her intro as she's being quote-unquote interrogated, but it's actually doing the interrogation, and then you see that played out later on as well in a different way, is that you see her as the spy and the badass. Like, everyone on this team can fight to a certain extent, so... When you think about Iron Man 2 and it's like, oh, she's a badass fighter, and it is a cool moment, that's what everyone can do. But you really see her as the spy, as this like smart you know, uh, person who's able to infiltrate and get the information they need, and that really helped her stand out. The same thing with Banner in, in his personality and, and the way he approaches stuff felt unique and obviously very different from The Incredible Hulk. Um, and I also want to say, you call it the Tony Stark stuff, but the thing that did also surprise me is not just Tony's arc. I feel like Knowing now in retrospect, we see so many other people's arcs like Thor and Loki. When Thor is talking about him returning to Asgard so they can be brothers, that's essentially their story from now until Ragnarok. It's about right. that. Steve Rogers' story in this, we see the inkling of it where Steve essentially has to be the movie where this is the movie that essentially teaches him that fighting for your country doesn't mean just following orders blindly. And I think right. that is an important thing for him to learn because that's what he was, you know, in the 40s, but isn't anymore. We see him rebel against that notion and that carries through to, to Winter Soldier, to Civil War, to all the way to Endgame. And I think those threads start here. And, I, I you know, you're right. Like, I don't think that was the long game when Whedon first started it. But this, these movies have done a great job of picking up those threads that other people lay down and running with them to see towards the conclusion as best as they can. I don't want to say it happens all the time, but... As far as this movie goes, it's it's great. And yeah. those things that we're seeing that you called out are just fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. Coulson was his most Coulson-y here, and it was <laughs> great. I, well, you don't know. You haven't seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I guess that's true. And I think part of the reason... I, part of the reason now, especially, that it's hard to want to go watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is because like I felt like Coulson's death was so important in this movie um and hundred thousand dollar patron level and you'll get kevin and i to watch uh do a full series rewatch of agents of shield yeah i guess i'll go with that that i'll i'll, I'll do it for that um yeah but so, like but we're talking like individually you're like you the listener if you want that from us it's 100 100k yeah make, make, make that happen <laughs> so um what was your thoughts like i mean like obviously on on colson yeah yeah, like the, the, it wouldn't have worked, boss, if we didn't need to, someone to avenge. And I, and, I, and, I, and I do think like they they did a, a very compelling job over the course of these movies of making Coulson the right guy to kill. And I guess that that's kind of the gag too, right? You come into the Avengers, and if you know anything about Joss Whedon, you're like, all right, so who's gonna die? Coulson's dead. Man. Of, He's a dead man. What, one of you idiots is not making it out of here. Is it Hawkeye? Are they gonna kill Hawkeye? Uh, they barely know him. Um, but Coulson 
is part of the he's one of the founding fathers of the MCU, right? Like he is our first real piece of world building in the MCU and Iron Man representing Shield until Nick Fury shows up at the end. Uh but Coulson's still the character in that movie. Uh you know, uh Nick Fury is more of like a prop, uh you know, a, a transition piece. Um he's got a role in Iron Man 2. He's got a major role in Thor. So he's already deeply connected to Tony. He is now like a known quantity to Thor. Thor knows son of Cole. Uh, he has a lot of respect <laughs> for this guy. Yep. Um, Black Widow knows Coulson because they work at Shield together. So Hawkeye's going to know about that guy too. Um, and Steve Rogers uh, is going to find out that Coulson is his number one fanboy. He's got the all the cards. They're in near mint uh, condition. It's a little fraying around the edges, and then some blood on it later. But that's uh, that's probably going to go for a pretty penny for for other reasons. Um, so it's really the only person, and obviously Nick Fury is super close with Coulson, so the only person who doesn't really have an emotional connection to Coulson is Hulk. Uh, and Hulk's got a lot that he's dealing with anyway, uh, so like that doesn't really matter as much to me. Um, who could you kill that would have had that emotional impact? And especially somebody who had, who had already bobbed and weaved through so many of these movies. Um, killing Coulson makes all the sense in the world, and it leads you in to that final act of the Avengers with so much emotion behind it, and like so much, like so much is fueled. Like the movie can still be very funny and exciting and action packed, but it it acts it acts as this accelerant. It acts as the purpose to to get all the Avengers together and back on the same page for the first time in a while. And if you really love Coulson, <laughs> you can continue his adventures in the small screen through this other show called Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where Coulson remained a big part. I, I am to understand that like he himself, again, kind of like bobs and weaves his way through life and death, and that there's a lot of, again, to use the word chicanery involved in the Clark Gregg of it all, but Clark Gregg is involved. He's there. He's all the way there in, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I watched the first season, and it was it was really not my thing until they get to the Captain America, the Winter Soldier tie-in episode where they do something very Whedon-y and very ballsy uh, and very, very, very cool. And immediately from that moment forward, and I think it was like an episode or two earlier that it started to get back on the rails uh, or started to get on the rails for the first time. Um, the rest of that season is really, really tight. And I saw halfway through season two and really enjoyed it. And then I just kind of fell off. And then it became like a very daunting, like 800 episodes of television. But I, it could be as good as it, as, as it is. And I still think it's just better if Phil Coulson's dead. Yeah, yeah. I, that's the thing. Right? I think that there's such a powerful impact. To I that can happening. separate that, right? Like I could separate that. And as far as I'm concerned, Coulson's dead because yeah. he's not going to be in the Marvel movies anymore, except for you know the 1990s set uh, Captain Marvel, and that was a cool way of doing it. Um, but it's just better this way that he's killed. Uh, yeah, and like it is very Whedon-esque. Like I think you know I went into this movie with being like, well, well Coulson's the dead man. Um, but like Whedon's great at making you really like and care about a character before then murdering them in front of you, essentially. Um, and it's weird to me to, I, I complain like, oh, he dies and you bring him back immediately on a TV show. Uh, this being said, as I do my Buffy rewatch, which is exactly what they essentially do with Angel. But, uh, I was sort of okay with that, uh, in that Don't regard. spoil that for me. I haven't watched any of this yet. Uh, come on. If you didn't know that, I don't know what to do about you I think I figure they kill him and bring him back and kill him and bring him back. They're vampires. They always come They're back. They're vampires, um, yeah. 
But like, yeah, I, I, I just the impact of that moment, the, 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 it's still gutting to see it happen. And I think that's also, you know, props to Clark Gregg being able to like really pull off the, the delivery in those moments uh, so well throughout this film. Um, and it is tough. Like maybe that's part of my subconscious hesitation to watch Agents of Shield is also that where it's just like Coulson died, and that's how it should be. Um, so yeah, but there, there's there's a lot in this movie beyond the sadness, right? Like you had these moments of humor, you had these moments of greatness, but there's also the action, which I think we talk about final fights throughout, and like the action scenes. Number one, it's movies. number it's, it's number one, it's number one. We don't even have like we can save some podcast time. We did it last week. This is the best uh, final battle of any of the Marvel movies to date. Absolutely, and but it also has some of close. the best battles to date. Full stop. That excel yeah. far beyond the other ones we've seen. That forest fight is great, beat for beat. The lead up of of the, the them talking and Cap even doing that joke about like he's pretty sure there's only one god and he doesn't look like yeah. that. The, there's only one god, man. And I'm pretty sure, sure he doesn't, doesn't look just like, like that. It's great. Yeah. Um, the hammer hitting the shield. <laughs> Uh, the fight. Which again is another thing that reverberates, right? It's like in Literally the first Avengers, in the first in the first Avengers, Cap collides with Mjolnir. Yep. In the second Avengers, he's gonna loosely pick it up, and in the final Avengers, he's gonna wield the freaking thing. Yeah, it's so cool. It's great, and like what I love too about that forest scene is like that went on exactly as long as it should. It, it, you've seen fight scenes in movies where the heroes have to fight each other and they just drags on. You're just like, guys, come on. We know you're just going to be friends. And this, I think, went on for the perfect amount of time and then flipped right to be like, there's still tension, but ultimately they know they have to work together. And that's, again, that's like the first big fight fight with these characters. And it's still not even the best. Like the helicarrier scene coming right after that is like one of the best action pieces, I think, that we are going to see for a while. I don't love the way Steve Rogers uses the assault gun. Uh, in terms of using it full stop? No, it just kind of looks a little dopey to me. Suppressing I, you know, fire. <laughs> you know, like, I always did, like, I don't have, I, I think we got to talk about costumes and stuff. And I know that the Cap costume is a little controversial. I've never had an issue with it. I think his costume is great. I love his costume in this movie. I do think he looks a little goofy when he's without the mask. And, I, and he, he's like that for a lot of the movie, where he's in the costume and just has the mask off. And it does sort of look like he's at a pajama party. So when he's like, p- pajama party Steve Rogers, and he's got the assault rifle, like, it really looks like Halloween to me. Um, but the rest of the sequence is great, because that's where you know, it's Hulk versus Black Widow, then it's Thor versus Hulk. The, it's just great stuff. It's fantastic stuff. Like, the fight scenes are amazing in that, right? Like, you have your Hulk moment where... He loses and becomes the Hulk. And, like, unlike the other one, like, there's a little bit of shadow, but they're like, oh, yeah, here he is. He's the Hulk. And you're going to see him fight in broad daylight against Thor right now. But even more than just the action, too, I think beat for beat, that scene had so much great stuff that actually one of my favorite moments was the lead up to uh, the big fight happening. And they're all inside the lab and they're all arguing, I think was so well done because listening to that dialogue and and, and watching them and, and understanding the characters, like, everyone had motivations that made sense to them you saw where they were coming from the conflict all made sense they were it was reasonable across the board about why certain people would be mad with each other it's so rare to do something like that to have these scenes where people are arguing and fighting and heroes are arguing and fighting without it coming off contrived or forced or stupid but this did a really really good job of everyone feeling right everyone saying in character things having the hulk 
have his moments where you're like, oh my god, is this it? And you think it fakes out, but no, he's going to transform shortly after. I think that scene is so well done, and then lead into this big action fight scene where you have you know the uh, the, the the Hulk chasing down uh, Black Widow, and yeah. then Thor fighting the Hulk, and him throwing the hammer, Hulk catching it, it landing on the floor. Like even before that, him reaching out his hand to call Mjolnir to him. Like those are those fan service things I was talking about previously that pay off so incredibly well in this moment. And that doesn't even touch on like Steve and Tony working together and their dialogue and back and forth. And Tony, like you know, pushing the the engine back yeah. to life is such is so great. Uh, and him getting like pinged around and you being inside the HUD, like it's just it's great. It's um, well done. It's perfectly it's well, well done. done. Even um, one of the things that like it's it's such a keen eye for character is um, the scene, the, the way in which the Thor and Hulk fight ends. Certainly, the way that Hulk gets off the helicarrier. <laughs> it's because he sees, he's like a dog, right? Yeah. He sees like the shiny object. He's like, oh, there. And he has to like hop on the jet and the jet's not coming back. So Hulk's off the helicarrier and he's just smashing it all the way down. It's just, it's, it's such a, it's such a spot on instinct for what that version of the character would do. He's so, he's like, you know, years away from smart Hulk at this point. Um, so, so that's really good. Um, I, I mean, we could talk. We could talk more. Final fight, if if you want, but to to drill down in into character because I think it it is important to do is the Mark Ruffalo of it all. You know, this is the debut of Mark Ruffalo, Ruffalo to the MCU. Um, and what's the secret weapon of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Take your pick. Like the, you know, there isn't one. I don't think, uh, or at least like I I don't know. Is is it just Kevin Feige? Like maybe you know, but Ruffalo as Banner is just so good and i don't know if it's because like that's what's familiar that's what's established for us now um but the way that i felt about the banner character re-watching avengers here with ruffalo in the role as like kind of apathetic and sort of like honestly like turned off by ed norton as the hulk like he was fine he was fine i think i said he reminded me a little bit of like ben savage like it was just like a little like uh cory matthews to his portrayal of the hulk uh that this is the thing and it's it's so evident right away. It's just like there is something very human about him. Um, he's obviously very very smart, but he's like deeply empathetic. He's like very cautious. He's got a great sense of humor about stuff. The whole like don't lie to me. I'm sorry that was mean. I just wanted to see what you would do. Like everything um, with with Ruffalo is 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 really really great. And that's one of the things that was so exciting about this movie on, um, you know, the first watch, like one of the more exciting revelations, because it, it, it was, you know, a big question mark coming into the movie. Um, people were pissed that Ruffalo was cast instead of Ed Norton. Um, your friend and mine, the great Torby Frazier, who's hooking us up with a lot of behind the scenes details for this podcast, recounts the ballad of Mark Ruffalo uh, and says that Ruffalo was officially cast on the day of San Diego Comic-Con. He was told by his agent to look outside his window for a car at 5 a.m., and if the car was there, he got the part, and if not, he could just go back to bed. Oh, my God. And so he got the part, he flew on a private jet to San Diego Comic-Con to be announced, and in the announcement, Robert Downey Jr. accidentally said in the reveal, and now reprising the role of the Hulk, Mark Ruffalo, uh, which he wasn't reprising it, he was debuting. Um, and I remember reading 
uh, back in the day when it was it was uh, it was it was more of a of a of a, of a thing that you could read without feeling any level of guilt or shame uh, on ain't it cool news. There was a big report about um, how Ed Norton wasn't going to be back as the Hulk, and it was like scandalous at the time. I really remember that. Um, and look at what it turned out. It turned out the Ruffalo's like the best part of the movie. He's the, the best part of the movie. Absolutely. Like we talk about MVPs, and you know, I do think it's him. Yeah, if you look at if if you include main characters, Ruffalo's the MVP by far. And it's crazy because I remember that being the case for a lot of people even after watching it for the first time. So many of us went in with such lowered expectations of what the Hulk was gonna bring to the table that when he actually showed up and we saw what how Mark Ruffalo portrayed that character and what he did, we all walked away being like, Oh my god, the Hulk was like the best part of that movie. And of course he has the standout line. He has his the I'm always angry bit that is everyone talks about it and rightfully so even still to now it's such a great 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 moment to see him transform like that and just punch the ever living heck out of that falcor looking thing <laughs> you know evil falcor um yeah it's just so well Ooh, done like right oh. The oh right there <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he's so good in it and it's just I'm looking forward to the falcor and winter soldier coming to Disney plus uh, some months from now that was gonna be a very disturbing uh show to watch <laughs> yeah. um, Ooh, sebastian stan yeah it really writes itself i'm uncomfortable josh i'm uncomfortable yeah. with this d- dialogue that yeah. you are sorry you're making I'm sorry no it's fine um but yeah i i think you really hit it on like ruffalo coming in and everyone was expecting i guess him to be bad and and didn't know what to expect and he really stood out and shown and again brought personality to the character that was my biggest issue with the incredible hulk is that banner just had no personality and it was you know there is of course the 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 caution there is of course the like empathy that he has there's all these layers to it but he's also shown to be a scientist he's shown to be smart he has these moments where you're just like right bruce banner is a, a, a doctor like he's an intelligent person and his skill at as banner is more than just oh He's lonely and will get angry. It's it's about that aspect to him. And I think they really did a good job showcasing that. Again, everyone on this team felt like they were there for a reason, even down to Cap when he's at the end giving orders, when he's there to, like, you know, it's strategy, basically. It, it's That's so great. Why do we take orders from you as he just dismantles, like, seven Shatari warriors? Absolutely. And it's, that guy who who I, I'm blanking on the name of the actor, but he was on uh, he played a, a CEO on Oz, uh, a great underrated character there. So it's it's always fun for me to to see him. And then and for Go uh, Gokaj, I think or Gojack, I don't know. I'm botching the pronunciation of his name. It's the other cop who actually ends up being a series regular on Agent Carter. Uh, he's a he's a Whedon alum. He was on Dollhouse. Yeah, I remember uh, that uh, the Dollhouse yeah. call out. Robin actually pointed that out. I was like, he's from Dollhouse. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, like Cap giving those orders and then like giving the orders to, and Hulk smash, you know, yes. like just like giving, giving everything. Um, and I, I think like even like the, it's such an iconic moment. That's my secret cap. I'm always angry. Uh, and I think like when you stop down to think about it, like maybe there are the questions of like, well, if that's a secret, then how come he couldn't control it on the helicarrier? How come he could just turn it on and off? And I actually think that this is like the way in which, uh, the incredible Hulk sets this up, right? Like that final scene, of the Ed Norton movie is him in yoga pose, and he seems like he can like turn the Hulk on. Yes. Um. So like maybe it's like a continuation of that. It is, and I do actually have something because I remember actually on Twitter I forgot who who sent it, but someone did tweet tweet at us about that question about the Hulk, uh, the Hulk transforming and, and and how 
how come he can just turn it on and off, but like he still lost it for Black Widow. Um, and I do have an answer for that. And it's sort of a personal answer of a sort. Um, this but, is credited in our feedback document to Benji. Benji wrote, I'm confused about how Hulk is just all of a sudden under control once we get to the final battle when just like an hour or two before he couldn't make himself not try and kill Natasha. Right. So as a person, and Josh, you can you very well know this, as a person who has anger issues um, for a very, very long time, um, there is something true to that statement. Like, you come to terms like now, me myself here, right? I'm I do feel like I'm close to where he is at the end. The idea of I'm always angry isn't an idea of you're able to just turn it on and off. It's about understanding who you are as a person, understanding that that rage inside you is 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 a part of you, but knowing how to release it and when to release it is key. And I think the Hulk at the end understands that, right? Like when he says I'm always angry, he understands that this part of him is like that. Him he can't turn it on and off is the key part of it. It's not like that because there are times that I can speak to, you know, where it is what happened with Natasha. Just because you know you're angry doesn't mean you don't get to the point where that part of you isn't controllable still or is controllable. Like, you just get these moments that the frustration, the anger, everything builds up and it doesn't matter how much you know that you can control it normally. It just comes out and you can't stop it and it happens and... Those are the worst times. We fear like crazy those moments happening. So I absolutely 100% understand that situation he's in. He's frustrated. He's upset. He's angry. He just fell down a thing. And sometimes you can't stop it from coming out. And it sucks and it's awful. And you feel regret and terrible afterwards, exactly how he felt. So for me, that wasn't a plot flaw or anything like that. It actually felt very, very true and very, very real to me um, that that happened. So... Uh, take that as you will, I guess, in terms of... No, that, it's but. great. That's great. That's great. And as somebody who is also uh, maybe surprisingly prone to, to bursts of rage, I feel that very, very hard. Um, if Ruffalo as Banner is kind of the revelation of the Avengers, uh, is Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye the opposite? Uh, <laughs> and like, is that is that is that mean? Could I have been meaner? And would that have still been fair? Is it fair? Um, certainly, he is. Uh, he's he's just like a flunky, a Loki flunky for most of the movie. He is under brainwashing and mind control. Jeremy Renner, like very famously, didn't like any. He didn't even like playing Hawkeye in this movie. Uh, and in Age of Ultron, Whedon's going to give him like actual stuff to do. Uh, he will end up having actual stuff to do in Endgame as well, here and there in Civil War. Um, but I think like it's very easy to dunk on the MCU's Hawkeye, even if he's a beloved character from the comic, where maybe like having a supernatural archer, like a supernaturally gifted archer, I should say. Someone who's very good at archery, just like excellent at archery, is standing shoulder to shoulder with the rest of these people. And I think that they even like dunk on him a little bit in Endgame, or he maybe dunks on himself, right? Like in the whole, uh, the aftermath of Natasha and everything. And he's saying to people like, I, I know I'm not part of like your super elite, like super, you know, galaxy brain type stuff. And I'm just a precious human here. Or maybe someone like dunks on him like that. Maybe Thor does that. Um, it's very easy to like, just take your shots at Hawkeye. Um, are they warranted? Is Jeremy Renner not very good as Hawkeye in this movie, or is Hawkeye just like he's a plug-and-play player 
for the purpose of moving the story along, and he's just kind of a whatever element. I know there's Hawkeye apologists out there. I apologize to those apologists if you were offended. Um, I think we're both going to have to apologize to a certain extent to those apologists. I mean, I think it's hard to just throw it on Renner um, in this role. I think he does a fine job, honestly. I mean, the character is one that I know there's, like you said, all these passionate fans for. I've never personally been a huge, huge Hawkeye person. I actually think the best version of Hawkeye is from uh, Matt Fraction's Hawkeye series, uh, which is really a very, very down-to-earth and kind of hits that note you're saying, where it's just like, what is this dude who shoots arrows doing with these guys who are literal gods? And I think is a, is a real good and interesting interpretation of that character, almost like a ground-level hero um, and I like that. Which is allegedly going to be the basis of this Hawkeye Disney Plus series. Right, uh, which I think is a if smart If and when move. that comes to pass, yeah. Um, but, I, I, yeah, he's definitely the LVP of this movie, but it's hard to throw it just on Renner. I just think that character is difficult to handle, especially when you have so many others, you know, around. Like I said, the only time rarely that I felt like Hawkeye was just like, oh, right, that's that's what his deal is is in the Ultimates comic um, where he has like a really, really cool moment. But the cool thing about the Ultimates comic at the time was that everyone had a moment in it where you're just like, right, that's why they're part of this team. Um, and he has cool beats, right? He, his shooting the arrows on the rooftop in the final fight is really cool. He has moments where you see him choosing his arrow and select kind of like that. I mean, he's very green arrowy in that moment with his trick shots, trick yeah. shottings, you know, I wish he threw out a boxing glove, but what can you do? Um, but it's copyright infringement right yeah exactly that's, yeah. that's that's why he couldn't do it um <laughs> but like I, yeah it's hard to argue against him being the like kind of like whatever person of this uh of this movie but hey at least him and natasha have some cool back and forth i guess that sets up a lot of their relationship that we see play out all the way still to the no end budapest game. uh payoff right we'll never no we'll never know i guess what um, unless it's in black widow unless it's in black widow who knows uh he references um, budapest and buffy as well it's just budapest is everywhere <laughs> Where is it? what's happening in Budapest? Uh, so yeah, I mean, like I, I was hoping maybe he would tick upward a little bit for me, um, but I do think that Hawkeye is kind of like the wet blanket of and like main MCU characters for me. Just the one that like never really moves the needle too far one way or the other. If that changes, I will be sure to to update with those reflections in future movies. And if you're a big Hawkeye defender, sound off. Let us know why. I would genuinely want to know. No, no judgments. Nothing like that. Um, it's a it's a really full movie, and it's it's kind of wild to think that like it could have been more uh, stuffed than than it is. Um, you know, there were there were a lot of different drafts of this movie. Uh, there were there were versions where Ezekiel Stain, who is Obadiah Stain's son, was going to be the bad guy uh, or a bad guy. There was a version where Red Skull was going to be involved, in addition to Loki. And we know that Thanos is going to show up in, in the post credit scene and obviously loom large over the proceedings for many movies to come. Um, do you think that like this was something where they needed more than just Loki and the Shatari? I think even like there, were, there had been reports that they were going to be the scrolls, that Loki was bringing the scrolls into town, and it just ends up being sort of like generic alien race that uh, gets like summoned to battle in New York. They just seem like... Uh, low rent disposable alien uh, flunkies uh, who could just be tossed across a portal across the galaxy and thrown into war. Um, did we need more villainy or do you think that this was enough when we need to spend so much time building up who all these heroes are and what they look like together? I think, you know, history has proven that this was certainly enough and the exact right amount. I mean, 
I can understand going in, right? Like, you're just like, oh, God, is Loki and, and an alien army going to be enough to compel people to, like, really pay attention, like, what's happening here and, and care? Um, but one day, they picked a villain that everyone loved, and they picked aliens and this idea of an invading force in New York City that I think, um, you know, resonated at the time uh, in a way that I think worked into the favor of, of the movie. Uh, it's funny because the Chitari are actually the scrolls from the ultimate universe that we keep referencing. Um, so it's in a way it was scrolls sort of. Um, right. But I, I think, I think it would have been, it would have been overloaded had they added a lot more villains, had they added other stuff. I think focusing on the formation of the team, that the idea of the team being the like re, real like character journey uh, along with the individual ones was very smart. And, um, you know, using, using the Atari at the end to have this battle in New York was, I think the right call because it paid off so well with that, 40 minute amazing third act action sequence like we've talked is it about that the other long ones. is it 40 minutes it is I, it is 40 minutes and i knew and i knew this because there was a point where the last battle two was about to start uh and we paused the movie because uh, i was just like uh, let's get some drinks or something real quick and robin's like oh how much how much longer does this movie have and i was just like 40 minutes she's like are you sure and i'm like trust me and so she she hits it and it says in the corner 40 minutes and she's like how'd you right. know i'm like i just I, i've seen this enough to know because at the time i remember leaving the theater being a 40 minute battle and all of it seemed awesome um so yeah it's really funny but um that we haven't really touched on but that action sequence if we want to hit on it now like the battle of new york it's got a name it's It's, the only one that has a name other than i guess world war ii yeah Uh, (laughs) that has a name also right uh but but it's the battle of new york and it's great like there's so many beats for characters for action moments that tracking shot i remember watching in the theater and being like this is incredible and it is just hopping from person to person seeing so much stuff is happening so much stuff is happening. it's like you're flipping like splash page after splash page after splash page it's like a great culmination issue of a comic book that has like four splash pages in a row with like little panels on the top and the bottom as well for micro action like right. very bendisy right like very very much of that style it's just incredible it's so exciting it's it's it, fantastically done and the way they did track it using little pieces from each to carry into the next uh next one was really 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 just fun and visually exciting um and also just uh there's there is a story I want to share about this. Um, you know, I, I shared a theater experience with Thor, and this was the other one that I talked about briefly, saying I had a second theater experience, and I will never forget this. It was the first time we were watching Avengers. There was a group of us who went uh, from DC Comics, and we're all sitting there watching it. We're all comic book fans. We're watching this movie, and and a Hulk does his thing where he's just like, you know, I'm always angry. He punches that thing. The music hits that score that we all know right now. Exactly. And as that score hits, they're doing the 360 shot around them. And the person next to me just goes, this movie's going to make a billion dollars. And sure enough, <laughs> yeah, there it you go. does. Like, that was the moment. Billion like, and a half. Exactly. You see that moment and you watch that and you're just like, this movie's going to make a billion dollars. And it a did. A cool Billy. It made yeah. a cool Billy. And yeah. it's just the action in those moments and the things that we see. As comic book fans, we loved it, but clearly it resonated with the broad audience as well. Um, when action is a thing that like most people can kind of turn off to, this is a, a movie that really hit that beat. When you see action scenes you've heard me talk about it so much at this point but when you see these action scenes especially in cities like some other places uh the buildings will fall things will collapse and there's rubble and there's blood and, and like that's not what and this it's is dark it's like hard exactly to see. this movie used it's bright bright 
uh, the, the, the the action set pieces were done right. It wasn't just smashing buildings. You actually saw effects of people around in and in in I think a way that's more than just like, we're scared. Um, I, it, it just used the environment perfectly well. And I think that's so important. And this more than almost any other movie that has done action set pieces in a city, especially in New York City, I think succeeded in doing that. Um, and, you know, we got a little fight on Avengers slash Stark Tower, which was very, very fun. A uh, little beat to see um, in this movie as well. Yeah. Uh, the, the whole Stark Tower scene is so great um, of, of Tony showing up and, uh, you know, biding time for Jarvis to get his suit ready and him being like, you want a drink? Yeah. It's <laughs> um, like, well, what are you going to do? It's like, I'm going to threaten you. I'm going to threaten you. Uh, so, no, it's, it's, it's not a negotiation. It's a threat. Uh, it's just the whole thing is is so so funny when he um, uses his staff to try and turn him and it fails. Perfect dialogue like, yeah, once again. Performance issues, <laughs> and he, he, even before he's thrown out the window, he starts to say, "You know, one in five, one, <laughs> one out of five, uh, it gets thrown out." It's just it's really 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 funny. Um, and like more about like the comic timing that like m- that marriage of comic timing and just like like total like hands in the air f yeah this is awesome energy is the resolution to loki uh of like loki goes up against the hulk and there's only one way that this ends it ends with him just smashing him around like a rag doll uh and like even as loki's like trying to assert his his like his holy purpose on the hulk Hulk is just not here for it. The, the puny god line is so funny. It's perfect. <laughs> he gets to kick the asses of two Asgardians. Yeah, you know he gets to he gets that he gets to just like knock Thor out of frame, which is a great gag. Uh, and then he gets to turn Loki into a you know just like a, a, a meat puppet. Uh, uh, another amazing. another arc that gets full circled as we hit into Ragnarok as well <laughs> for Loki. <laughs> right, 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 right. He's like no. It's uh, it's great and it's good. yeah it's good. that that scene where he's bashing him around is, is is so like you said the comedic timing on it is perfection. That's crazy what you know what you're saying there is like so this like Hulk smashing Loki around Stark Tower uh, at that moment in 2012 was just like a basically inconceivable idea. That was a culmination. But what we're also talking about is how that's bedrock. Right, like that's that's foundation that so much else has been built up on, and none of this, you know, the sprawling tower of the MCU that we're scaling here is possible if this movie sucks. Absolutely, um, yeah. And and I actually think that this movie had to rock really hard. It wasn't even that it could have been good and like carry on. This movie had to like this movie had to rock. Yeah, it had uh, to be mind-blowingly awesome, and and it was, and it, it was, was. <laughs> and they and they pulled it off. I remember seeing it because uh, I'm a very fancy, important person at a at a screening in advance. Oh, uh, was was because I was working at MTV at the time, uh, and we had coverage plans, and so I got to see the movie. I think like three days early, something like that. Um, and I was so nervous going into it. Uh, and like I had heard like uh, some feedback from some people at my office who had seen it already at that point. And they're like, I'm like, don't tell me anything, but am I going to like it? I'm really nervous. And I'm like, just go see the movie and we'll talk afterwards. And I was so scared. And it was just like very quickly apparent. I'm like, oh, wow, they did it. I, I can't believe that they, 
they didn't just do it. They like really, 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 really did it. Do I think the Avengers is the best movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Definitely not because they think that they build on this. Like they somehow make what they did here better a couple of times. Um, but I think like in that same you know vein of what we talked about last week when we were ranking Captain America the first Avenger and we were kind of like comparing it to Iron Man how I have Iron Man at a five out of six possible infinity stones in our arbitrary and reductive ranking system that we do here um, largely on historic reasons and Captain America the first Avenger earns that full five uh, because of, of quality like there's no asterisk I don't even know if I would say that there's necessarily an asterisk behind like how I feel about this movie, but like I'm certainly I'm certainly not unbiased when it comes to the Avengers because the Avengers was just it really at the time it was just it was the it was the top of, of the mountain and it's that great feeling of like how do we ever top this how do we ever top this um, and that feeling of a high just. I'll never, I'll never lose that. Every single time, every single time Kevin and I have watched this movie, it's been nothing short of an out and out wall to wall delight. Whether it's something like you know well worn like uh, the the puny god scene, or something new that I'm picking up every time, like the scene in Germany which we didn't even talk about, and like the the old man, I was going to bring know, that up, <laughs> standing up, which is of course like that's a great scene. What I was going to say was, like, when Loki stabs that poor guy in the face, in the eye, with, like, the holographic eye scanner, and everyone freaks out in horror because that's so shocking and violent and gross. And and as they're fleeing, and this is, like, Loki's, like, second move on conquering Earth, basically. And he's just looking around in Hiddleston. God bless him. Just has this great smirk on his face. As he's kind of, like, looking around like, yeah, this is great. It's happening. Like, there's just little stuff that I that I pick up every time I see this movie. Absolutely. Um, it's a blast. I could, uh, of all the MCU movies, this might be the one that I would choose to, that I would choose if I could only watch one for the rest of my life. It might be this one. Because it's just, I know it's a guaranteed joy front to back, and it never relents. It never relents. It's just a relentlessly fun ride. That's fair. I'll have to hold off on that. I might just choose the last uh, hour of Endgame over and over again for all eternity. But um, but that's going to make me sad. You know, nothing about this is going to make me that sad. Like, Coulson will make me a little sad, but I know he's live on a, t- on a television <laughs> show, so it's not going to make me that sad. Um, uh, like, Avengers is just going to make me really, 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 really super happy. And I true. love this movie 3000. It, I absolutely agree with you on that. And it is, I do want to talk about the German thing. We, we, the Germany scene, you know, we, we hit on it in a second. And I, I remember, and this is, this is interesting because it, it is like a point where it's, it's like, man, my perceptions have changed on, on this movie to a certain extent. Um, that scene, I remember the time uh, where Loki is there and, and the old man stands up and he has that an incredible line about kneeling and he makes that comment about there are always men like you. Um, yeah. I remember one, one that seems fantastic and, and especially I thought it then. And I especially think it now because I remember the criticism from people at the time were like, Oh, that's so hokey. Like why would all those people kneel? Oh, this old man stood up like one person stood up. And now I'm like, yeah, apparently that's what happens. Isn't it? Like what yeah. I wouldn't give, 
for that old man to be standing up right now in reality. Yeah. It's such a weirdly resonant scene that people criticize because they claimed they would have stood and to see the reflection in reality now to be like, no, I guess we wouldn't yeah, have. I don't know. Right. Yeah. Like I think I think that scene hit me so much harder and that line was just so much stronger about the, you know, there are always men like you and that guy's delivery. I was just like, oh God. Like it, it also was just so like good. It also just it has it has Cap getting thrown into action so quickly to get him back in Germany in like modern Germany is a, such a cool touch um, and just the great exchange between him and Loki ah the man out of time I'm not the one who's out of time yeah it's uh, great it's like, so Cap you know it's just it's so good it's so so good it appears to um, run on some sort of electricity well you're not yeah. wrong <laughs> yeah it's so good it's just great um, I don't know. It's just a blast. The whole movie's a blast. Any anything to say about Iron Man? We haven't like I feel like have we short shrifted Iron Man in our discussion well, here, especially knowing like how this sets up the the further arc of Tony Stark. Well, it's 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 interesting, right? Because I think at this point Iron Man has had two movies compared to everyone else, so there was a lot to have said about him. But um, I feel like it's almost goes without saying to the, how great Iron Man is in these movies. He's he's is to an extent the bedrock in a way if cap is the you know emotional moral bedrock of the marvel universe tony stark as a character is the bedrock of this entire cinematic universe existing and i think beat for beat in this he he's great his arguments with steve his 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 conflict with him his uh friendship with bruce banner i think those back and forth were really great um his delivery and jokes once again rdj hitting it out of the park with that man's playing uh galaga he thinks no one has noticed uh all of those things are so perfectly Tony Stark and so perfectly RDJ. He gets better with every film. Um, and of course, this movie, as you said earlier, sets up exactly where we're going to see him in the future. It sets up so much about that character and what he's going to become. Not to mention his going into the past plane of existence, setting up this weird thing about with Thanos that we know of that's going to pay off a lot later, this weird connection they have that, of course, we don't know about till. Infinity War, but still, like, it feels resonant, it feels relevant, and it feels real, not just, like, tacked on. Um, yeah, he's, he's of course, you know, beyond amazing in this. Uh, it, it's hard to, like, gloss over him because there's so many other beats with characters I think excel really, really well, and he was just so cemented in who he is. But that works for the character because he's, yeah. he is who he is, and he doesn't, he, his changes are gradual but important. How about Thor? I think Thor, Thor, like next to Hawkeye, probably gets short shifted the most, which is interesting because his brother's the villain of the piece. Yes, and I, I do think you are right. I think Thor gets short shifted because he's really there being the muscle, I think, for anything else. Um, and Thor's, you know, it's weird to say Thor doesn't truly, truly shine as a character until Thor Ragnarok, but in a way, that is when that character eventually shines. I don't think they really fully understood how to approach this character and what makes him... Oh, we're so dangerously close to Dark World. I know. It's, it's the one part that I'm like, oh, this is going to hurt. We um, committed to doing Dark World. We yeah. did. You said we're doing Phase 2, so now uh, we have no, no Can we skip that one? Is that enough? Um, can we erase no, it from existence? Where's the time stone? No. Steve, where's the no. time stone? <laughs> Uh, Steve Steve Strange is that who you're? Yes, yeah, Steve Strange. <laughs> oh, we're using our superhero names. Well, in yeah, that case, I'm Spider Man. <laughs> I'm Spider Man. <laughs> Here we are quoting future Avengers movies. That's <laughs> that's great. what you said though. This movie had to be what it is to get us to where we are now, and and yeah. it did it in spades. It's it, it had to knock it out of the park. You're right. If this movie was fine, it would it, we would not be where we are. I think it the the impact and influences this movie 
had would not be there. And, and it, you know, the MCU clearly, and I think they know, owes a debt of gratitude to uh, the, the Marvel's The Avengers uh, as a starting point here. I think I think the Thor stuff, I think what you say about him just sort of being like the beefcake, right? Like he's your tank. He He and Hulk are your tanks, but like, Hulk when he's not Hulk is Bruce Banner and that's a character who we really you know are he's very soulful and he's like uh, he's he's kind of a shiny new toy since we're we're studying first appearance of Ruffalo um and I think I think with Thor it's really more about um like him being like sad that his brother's being such an asshole uh and he just kind of has to worry about that and other than that just making the lightning happen but that's more than enough you know, because at least he brings the thunder. You know, bring he brings at least that much to the table. Um, how about the the shield of it all? Isn't it crazy that it was like such an exciting big to do that there was a helicarrier? Like, oh my god, they could do helicarriers. <laughs> That's how far into the the comic book lore we are. They even referenced it's life a, model it's decoys. A helicarrier. Yeah, it's a, oh my god. <laughs> it's yeah, and you are as impressed as Steve Rogers was. He was he was oh, stunned wow. by what he saw. Um, yeah, yeah and, and they referenced life model decoys, which I thought was very funny. They had so many references throughout for like comic book fans to be like, I can't believe I'm actually seeing X. And then I can't believe they talked about Y. I mean, and you know, this is jumping ahead, but the perfect, perfect, perfect example of that is the post credit scene <laughs> where you're just like, yeah. what? And like, you know, yeah. there's a what from everyone who's just like, I don't understand what or who that is. And then the comic book fans who were just like, are you kidding? You're setting up, Th- are you joking right now? You're setting up Thanos? Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's from the moment uh, they did the Avengers thing with the Avengers Initiative. They were just like, we're committing. And they committed to doing something that we thought Helicarrier was cool. They were like, no, no, no. We're going to do something Thanos way bigger. Thanos is coming. And man, man, oh man, seeing again how it paid off ultimately in the end. Kudos. <laughs> so, so Avengers came out uh may 4th 2012 uh and i got uh engaged uh to emily uh the great emily fox may 3rd 2012 um and we because because cinco de mayo is our anniversary and i wanted to surprise her a couple days early she probably knew it was coming uh but she didn't know that it it would be coming two days later big surprise very funny i threatened uh for years that i would if she was ever on a boat with me she'd be in trouble because i'd probably be proposing because how is there a more romantic place to propose to someone than a boat so i had like an inflatable boat in the apartment it was very cute <laughs> um we went upstate for like a little like get away from work and just like take a couple days off uh type of uh retreat and i had seen the movie already at this point i'd filed a bunch of coverage and like my bosses were very cool about letting me go um and i got a voicemail uh, while I was gone, uh, you know, we'd been getting calls from people like congratulating us and stuff. And I'd gotten a voicemail while we were gone from my cousin, uh, who, uh, I wasn't like super close with anymore, but when we were kids, we were like really, really tight. We played action figures together. We collected X-Men toys together. Uh, we made like uh, stop motion animation movies with our toys and we had just kind of lost touch. He'd, he'd, he'd gone through like some really hard times, um and i wasn't a great family member to him like it was just not something that i was going to like trouble myself with basically uh and he left me this voicemail and all it said was josh josh thanos 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 <laughs> and i that's the whole voice message i don't have it anymore <laughs> and I'm, i hate that i don't have it anymore 
Um, that's the late, great Jeremy Allen uh, left me that voicemail. And he, he passed away a couple years later. Uh, he passed away in 2014. And so he never got to see the full extent of Thanos. And that always breaks my heart. Uh, because I think like there was that level of excitement that was just imbued in something as simple as that. Like even though it's like the danger's coming and Thanos is no freaking joke and the Shatari are going to look like flies on a windshield, what this character represents is the promise of such an epic story uh, that thank God they, they do deliver on. Um, but like that reaction that Jeremy had, you know, who was, he was such a bigger fan of this stuff than, than I ever was, um, was so pure. And I think really mirrors a lot of the feelings that you get from this movie. I, I think it's, it's a good time to start like moving into some of the feedback. And one of the pieces of feedback that we have this week, Kevin, is this like sort of like perfect, simple sentence that describes this movie and describes what I'm talking about right now. This is from um, a listener named Jet, uh, like the, the great uh, Paul McCartney song. Uh, Jet says, it is such a solid, fun movie. Everything can make me feel like a kid watching fireworks for the first time. That's the Avengers. Yeah. That was that was the voicemail that I got. It was amazing. Yeah, it, it's hard to to top a sentiment like that, but it, it is exactly true. Like there's there's this feeling of joy and like childhood fun watching this movie that is is memorable and and just lights you up uh, in a way that I think, you know, <laughs> a lot of explosions like fireworks can do. Um <laughs> yeah. But it, it, yeah, it's 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 such a fun movie. Um, yeah, I, I just it's hard to it's hard to express really like the type of joy you feel even now watching this thing, uh, and and how amped it gets you for what you know ends up paying off in ways. Uh, you know, with that with with the fi- finale that they have um, makes me really kind of wonder about like, geez, this was the beginning and it's so good. Maybe we should so just good. stop. Just shut it down. Yeah. Just stop now. <laughs> just shut it down. Uh, it will be some rough waters here and there. We'll, we'll, we'll get through it. Uh, Mike Edwards added, I believe it's the best, even better than its sequels. That's because it's the most complete movie in the MCU. It's the one entry where it feels like you were given enough information that you could watch this movie without seeing every single other movie. Um, I think as far as like the big ones, like any... any like. Infinity War makes no sense if you don't know what you're walking into. Endgame is the highest grossing movie of all time, which means that so many people like got it. Like they they're like at this point like we've seen it all or like we've read the the Wikipedia. We know what we know what to expect. But Avengers really is kind of artful in how simply and elegantly they introduce all the, co- the, the, the elements that have, that have come before in the previous movies. I do think that that's something about this movie that's a, a very impressive feat, that they, um, they, they throw you into it, but not in a way where it feels like you're without instructions on how to get across the river. Uh, I think that's very true. And I think if we're looking at it from the perspective of, like, which is the most solidly just constructed movie of, and is entertaining and standalone, then yes, I think compared to the rest of them that we have coming up uh, in terms of the Avengers uh, proper, uh, this one is the best version of that. But... I have to give it up towards what they were trying to do, which is, you know, kind of where we hit in the very, very beginning of this uh, podcast series that looking at it as a adaptation, a true adaptation of the comic book medium, the future movies succeed in that way more. Um, those are what those movies are. They're crossovers. And I think they excel in that regard. Um, and as you said, like, I guess people did. I mean, there's no way everyone watched everything as it was happening or else each one would have made $2.5 billion or $2.7 billion. Uh, so enough people have clearly watched Avengers Endgame without 
fully, fully watching the rest of them. Or, uh, yeah, other ways. Uh, bootleg. Pirate. Pi- <laughs> Disney, Disney Plus, you mean. Disney Plus. They all Disney watch Plus, Disney Plus. Disney Plus. <laughs> um, on the tip that you just, uh, you just threw up there, uh, this is from David. Uh, can you talk a little more in detail on how the film works as an adaptation? I feel like adaptation is an art form, and these films, the way they combine different aspects of different creators' takes of these characters are masterfully done. For instance, they combine the best aspects of the Ultimate Universe with some dink- distinctly 616 characterization, particularly for Cap. And for those who don't know what that means, um, the Ultimate Universe was a line of comics in Marvel that was like sort of like a little bit of a reboot, a little bit of a modernization. 616 pertains to like the continuity of Marvel Comics from, you know, beginning of time to now, right? And beginning of publication history in the 60s to now. Um, what are your thoughts on this as as far as the art of adaptation goes, Kevin? Because you talk like there's a ton of fan service in here. Um, but is there, there's like a certain level of like modification too, right? To like fit the medium of a film. Absolutely. And I think it has to be, and even beyond necessarily just adapting from comic to film, as I've mentioned in, in just now, I do think this is the strongest adaptation of the medium. Is this adaptation of the actual uh, stories like spot on? I mean, no. Um, there's going to be a lot of changes, like you said, not just for the medium, just because these characters are so old at the end of the day. It's weird because when I think about adaptations, you know, adapting comic books or adapting these characters are not like adapting a book. A book usually is like, you have the story, it's there, it's the single publication it's a trilogy it's it's a thing that exists in a in a contained space that you can adapt and and create um comics aren't that these characters have been around for you know uh for if you look at someone like superman like 80 coming on you know um, uh close to to a centennial um to the marvel characters which are like going 60 years at this point that's a lot of history a lot of stories a lot of things that have shaped and changed from different people writing them from different people interpreting them um so when it comes to the adaptation like that, I, 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 you can't see a one for one here as like this is a great adaptation of this particular story because it's going to change and in, in the way the characters are perceived and alter change. But again, the adaptation of the medium itself, I think these movies succeed in a way that almost nothing else does. You can't adapt like the adaptations of video games are not great. Um, adaptations of books can hit hit or miss, but an adaptation of the medium of comics, I think these are so 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 well done in. Um, so yeah, it's really hard to to say like, do they adapt the stories right? Because I think the, the the characters in the world that was created in comics transcends the idea of one particular story. If that makes sense. Um, this is from Jared. This is a great comment. Uh, I think one of the most important elements to track in these kinds of movies is who is the protagonist. I really believe that they live or die on that decision, since it provides a lens that drives the entire narrative. The decision here to make the Avengers and the abstract concept of quote-unquote the team into the protagonist works absolute wonders, and it's the biggest factor that makes the movie completely work. The Avengers becomes a character in and of itself, and I really can't imagine the movie any other way. It seems like such a crazy, it's such an obvious decision at the same time. Yeah, are we being too hard on Hawkeye? Because Hawkeye's part of the team. He's the protagonist. He he is he's part, part of the, of the crew. He's he's the crew. he's a screech of the group, but he's still part of the group. Um, I do think that's a fascinating and and wonderful look at this. I think I think that's completely accurate. I think if you look at the journey of the team as a whole, they go through the beats necessary for a, a movie. Um, they have their midpoint downfall. They have their comeback around. I think that's 
that's that's a really great way of looking at it. I saw someone once compare that with Infinity War. People thought about how weird Infinity War is, and someone pointed out where it's just like if you look at Infinity War with Thanos as a protagonist, every beat makes sense, and it's just like, oh, huh? How about that? Like you don't really think about that sometimes. Um, the genius of a storyteller who can do that, but I think looking at it that perspective, I think that's great. I think that's really smart, and I think that's awesome, and it works out really well. Uh, speaking of the villain, this is from Hartrick. Uh, coming off a harsh defeat at the end of Thor, Loki amps up the voltage and, with that, the acting. Loki's arrival on Earth and his face-off in Germany and, of course, his Shakespearean diatribe of the Hulk, all of these are Tom Hiddleston at his sharpest. If the movie is meant to be balanced in the fight of good and evil, he is the one doing the heavy lifting. Everyone else on the cast is on the side of Earth. Evil just has him. That's a cool point, too. And, you know, we talked before about um, Hiddleston and Hemsworth just, like, landing with such authority in the roles of Loki and Thor in Thor. The movie itself is is good. It's fine. Um, but there's just, like, excellent casting. They found stars, right? Like, they found movie stars in these guys. Um, it's It's already such a feat that they have to make all of these different main characters work in concert with one another as the protagonist known as the team. Um, it's a lot to ask Tom Hiddleston to embody the god of mischief so thoroughly in his quest to conquer Earth that he as an actor can fully hold his own against every single last one of them. Like the only person... He doesn't have a, uh, the only like Avenger. He doesn't have a meaningful interaction with really is Cap, right? Oh no, he does have the thing with Cap. In Germany, uh, it's 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 really with Ruffalo. He has it with Hulk though, so he has a moment with every single one of the Avengers. Um, and he's grand. No. He's grand. Hiddleston's crazy good in this role. He's fantastic in this role, and I, you know we talked about uh, rating him in Thor versus rating him here, and we expected the the rating to go up, and it definitely did. And I think, yeah, he helps carry the villainy of this movie to to a very, very high extent to make it um, as memorable and as um, engaging as as we all remember it to be. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's it's him at almost his prime. I do think it's going to be interesting when we get to talking to the ratings about where we landed on this. But of course, like people love him for a reason. I think a big part of it is because of him in this movie and his villainy is so on point. But so is his like humor and 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 engaging charisma. It, it's it's on the forefront, um, which works so so well for the benefit of this film. And having found this guy to embody Loki in such a way, he's just great. He's just absolutely wonderful. Uh, I I really love Hiddleston, and I think that he's just he's so good. Um, but maybe some of the things that are less good. Uh, the great Brendan Fitzpatrick says, so many new looks and costumes in this movie. <laughs> Whose new look are your favorites and who are the least favorites? For some reason, for me, Thor looks smaller in his new chest plate. Maybe it's because of the smaller cape, but Loki's new look is fantastic, even if it's a bit over the top. Uh, how do you feel about the costuming in this movie? I haven't really gotten the full extent of your thoughts on the cap costume. Your thumbs down, ultimately, if we're ranking cap costumes, where does this rank alongside his stage performance costume, <laughs> his uh, his Ultimates Jack Bomber jacket costume, and his main first Avenger costume. Where does his first Marvel's The Avengers costume rank? Probably above his um, stage performance costume, but below the yeah. other two. I just have a real personal love um, for that look that he has. Um, and we kind of see it come back later on in the other films. Um, I don't, 
hate this costume. Um, it's just, a, I guess, a preference of the style. I think of the of the later ones that that really appeals to me. Um, but in terms of everyone else, I guess Cap would be the one that I guess I'm least thrilled by. Uh, Loki does look amazing, and especially for Loki and Thor, the thing that they look a lot better about is their hair uh, in in this yeah. movie. Both their hairs are on point, and I think look great. Um, Thor's costume, you get to see his arm, arms again, like and we talked about it before, where it's like the old classic comic book style, seeing his like guns on display. Then he armors up at the end, which I think is cool. But yeah, yeah. I think... The costumes more or less um, seemed fine to me. I think the ones that stood out the most would have been Cap because I was just like, huh, okay, that's a look. And then uh, Loki's, which is just kind of like, yes, that that is he. That is Loki. <laughs> he is they, you know. Um, that worked out really well. You do, you mentioned liking the Cap costume. I'm not going to hold that against you at all, so. Well, I hope not. What are we going to hold against? Me? We're uh, done with this gonna, podcast now. What I was going to say to you is you're such a Cyclops fan from the X-Men, and I felt like this costume for Cap, to me, one of my first reactions was like, man, why can't the X-Men get their shit together? Because Cyclops could basically look like that. Like, that could be like the quality of the costume for Cyclops, and he would look fantastic. They totally could do that with X-Men. Uh, I'm still very hopeful that we'll get to see the MCUification of X-Men sometime in the not terribly distant future. And I really hope that they can do th- if if like the first try at Cyclops is as good as what they got with Captain America and the Avengers, I think we're in good shape. It's going to I mean, I'm- unless you want like the 1992, he's got the billowing hair out of his blue mask. It's got a thousand pockets on his chest. I mean, that would be great. I would love that. Uh, I, I'll take any of the costumes at this point for the X-Men. I, I did like the X-Men stuff. Um, in, in, in the, the Fox films. But yeah, part of me knows that, you know, when they eventually do this for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they're going to give them full costumes. And I'm excited to see that. I would love, I mean, Cyclops is my favorite. It'll be cool to see him like that. Part of me does want his billowing hair out in the open. I think that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. Maybe cut down on the number of uh, Liefeld pockets, yes. But um, you are right. There is a very strong similarity between those two designs. Uh, lots of praise for uh, the final battle, including... Um, two of the the better uh, images from the final battle from Professor Strunk. The revolving pan to reveal the team shot. You know the one. And that tracking shot, you also know the one, are two of the most iconic scenes in movie history. I respect the history every time, says Professor Strunk. This is from Christina, who says, Avengers is the best final battle of all of the MCU. The way it's crafted and the narrative journey of the battle is very compelling. Joss Whedon did an awesome job. I felt real stakes. Like the Avengers were certainly going to lose if Tony hadn't managed to hit the mothership with the nuke. It's no Helm's Deep, but you really feel the highs and lows of the battle. And sometimes when watching the final battle in MCU movies, especially when they face faceless fodder, you don't necessarily feel that the heroes will lose. To that point, to the point of faceless fodder, uh, I just, I love when Hulk smashes the Leviathan and Tony finds the soft spots. Jarvis, find me a soft spot. He finds the soft spots. They take down a Leviathan. So the battle is turning and maybe we can win this. And the Shatari are so bullshit. They're bullshitari about it. They're so <laughs> mad that they like are clinging to the side of the building and they remove their faceplates to scream in all of their alien agony at the death <laughs> of one of their own Leviathan. It's such a cool moment where you don't need to speak shatari to fully understand the emotionality of the bad guys there, of the faceless fodder. It's really good. That's great. That's really impressive. 
It's a good movie. It's a great movie, Josh. It's a very good movie. It's a very good movie. It's a very, very good movie. Um, more from Professor Strunk about Thanos. Uh, Thanos. Thanos, Thanos, Thanos. Best voicemail I've ever had. Uh, Professor Strunk says, Do we have a retrospective explanation now that Thanos' story has run its course as to why exactly he wanted the Shatari to invade Earth? Knowing what we know about his plots and plans now, it doesn't seem like he gains much or that it fits what he was trying to accomplish. Is this just one of those things where we shrug and say, eh, it was phase one. They hadn't fapped everything out yet. Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I think uh, at this point, Thanos necessarily wasn't going for the Infinity Stones right off the bat, I don't think, right? Like, I, I, Well, I guess he was because he wanted the Tesseract. Um, I, we don't necessarily know why at the time he wanted the Tesseract. I think him invading Earth probably had a multitude of reasons behind it. Um, maybe he thought another stone was hidden there somewhere. Um, but like, there's a there's an extent of him also testing the heroes of Earth. He's seen the emergence of these people, and if 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 he has to worry about it, which he eventually will, um, you might as well test what they're capable of. Eliminate this problem now before it becomes a huge, huge problem later. So I can kind of see the logic there. But uh, yeah, I kind of get what you're saying in, in that way. That is interesting. I hadn't thought that deeply about it. <laughs> All right, right, this movie's not as good anymore now. Just lost several points. No, no, no. All right, let's get into rankings, Kevin. Are you ready? The time has come to rank someone. Uh, We're going to rank the movie. We've got the scale from zero to six Infinity Stones. I give a score. Kevin gives a score. You, dear listener, you get to give a score, too. You send that in our way. Super at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. That's super at postshowrecaps.com. You can also tweet at us. I'm at Round Howard. Kevin is at Kev Mahadeo and at Post Show Recaps. Make sure you're tagging as well. But really do the email. The email is the best way to do this. Uh, we'll take my score, Kevin's score, the audience average. We'll average those three together. And that gives us our Infinity Stone rankings. We're ranking the movies, the villains, and the post credit scenes. And then Kevin and I have some informal things we're tracking as well. Uh, a lot of filibuster, Kevin, to hopefully give you enough time to figure out how you want to rank the Avengers. Because I know coming into this podcast, it was a it was a flexible thing. Uh, I'll just buy you a little more time and say what I've already said. It's a six. This is a this is a great. This is you know what the the reason we have the audience average, Kevin, is so that they can rein in our crazy and our hyperbole, right? But this is our podcast, and we get to be hyperbolic if we want. And I'm going to be hyperbolic. And sure, is The Avengers a, a perfect movie? A six out of six? Like, actually perfect? Probably not. What is 100%? But it feels 100% every single time. Uh, so I'm just going to give it the six. And it's certainly not going to be the last Marvel movie that I give a perfect six to. Yeah, I um I think that's what helped is knowing that it, you know, I'm going to give other movies a 6 and I'm allowed to do that. Um because yeah, I Yeah, it's not like you only do it the one time. Yeah, I I I came into this I came into this even now being like I need a reason to not give it a full 6 and even in you discussing can. it Did we come up with one? No, none. If none. anything it's, there aren't it, any. it solidified it for me that this movie this movie's a 6. It was it was it's so a, much it's fun a slam to watch. Dunk. It it's really a slam is. Slam dunk. Everything about the MCU up to this point that has already been really, really good is transcendent in this movie. And it's crazy that it's going to get better. It might take a little while before it does from this point forward. I think that this is the highest high we're going to have for a while um, until we get to like Winter Soldier, you know, will be a conversation about that, I think. 
Um, and Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be a conversation along these lines, too. What Guardians does is very impressive in a similar but very importantly distinct way from what the Avengers does. Um, even, even though I've said, like, my hot take is, like, I'm not as in on the Guardians as everybody else is, um, I, I'm ready to eat those words going back. Because even just, like, thinking about the feat that's accomplished there uh, is, is uh, it's absolutely staggering. And I don't mean to shade Iron Man 3. Uh, I know uh, there are people who love Iron Man 3, including the person I'm talking to on this podcast. That is correct. Uh, I'm interested to revisit not, to see where we stand. It's not that I dislike Iron Man 3. I just don't love it as much as I love some of these other movies. Um, all right, so you're a six. I'm a six. I'm going to go six. All right. All right, you're a six. I'm a six. The audience average is a one. Uh, so that gives it a six, one, six. Just kidding. <laughs> ah. That was just a joke. It is certainly not a one. It's a 5.4 listener average uh, with a few sixes scattered throughout. And I'm trying to see what is the lowest that it goes. I don't think it falls beneath a four from anybody who has submitted a score that is currently correct. Uh, a, uh, a, a retroactive um, uh, shout out to, to Gooey Dunn who gave Captain America the first Avenger a two. So that did exist. That was out there. Um, but with my six, with Kevin's six, with the 5.4, mercifully not a six, because then we would have been in trouble from the audience. It's a 5.81. The Avengers with a commanding lead out in front of the other movies. Captain America, the first Avenger is behind it, uh, with more than a full point behind. 4.66 to the Avengers, 5.81. Iron Man with 4.54, Thor with 3.21, Iron Man 2 with 2.82, The Incredible Hulk bringing up the rear, <laughs> 1.88. Um, villain rankings. Um, I, 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 get, I don't know why I'm not just giving Loki a 6. Um, why am I not giving Loki a six? I, I also, uh, you know, we can go about like, why don't we give Loki a six? But I, I do think in this movie for me specifically, he's not a full six, right? He's great. He's awesome. He's wonderfully villainous, but he doesn't have, I think, as much um, emotion and depth of character beyond what we already know. And I think he comes in with preconceived notions about him or not preconceived, but pre-known notions because of the movies we've seen. And for me, this is a great Loki, but Loki, this, the full six Loki, we don't get, in my opinion, until Thor Ragnarok. That is the perfect version of that character. And I think that character journey is what leads him to be a full six of a character. And in this movie, he's not quite there yet. He's evil. He's delightful. He commands Jatari. He has great moments. But as a villain and as a bad guy, necessarily, I don't think he fully, fully hits that like perfect six, especially compared to some of the other villains that I think we're, we know are going to be so, so amazing and wonderful. Uh, that's my but opinion, th- of course. But but I think he's definitely better than the Loki and Thor, who was sure. already really great, you know, who, who had already given a five to. And I think for like that reason of like Hiddleston holding his own against all of these people is is really, really impressive. And I think Whedon writes the character really well. Um, I'm going to give him a 5.5. He's close. Close to perfect. Not quite. Yeah, I, I'm not giving him a 5. Um, I, I, I think for me, that's my fair ranking for him. Again, if this was the version that we're going to see later, and sadly, to an extent, uh, I'm curious to revisit him or even if we count him in Thor The Dark World um, and see where he lands there. But like the Loki that I think is the best Loki, the, the perfect 6, is a Loki that's not technically a villain ever again. Um, at least a villain in the way that we've seen him previously. So 
know that I loved a character, but in terms of villainy, he still is not quite, in my opinion, as good as some of the others we're going to see. All right. Uh, the audience gives him a 5.2. So basically the middle of our two points. That gives him a 5.24 as the official Infinity Stone score as it stands. Loki 2.0. King of the Ring, as far as the bad guys are concerned. In second place, also Loki. A double, as he's (laughs) wont to do. Uh, This Loki gets a 4.63. That's the Loki of Thor. Third place, the Red Skull with 3.86. Fourth place, Obadiah Stane, 3.13 in a box of scraps. Justin Hammer in fifth, 2.65. Ivan Vanko, he just wants his beard in sixth (laughs) place with 2.17. Emil Blonsky, he wants that. He needs that. Seventh place, 1.61. And General Ross, still wondering what the F he's doing here in eighth place. 1.44. 1.44. More and more, uh, Thunderbolt Ross being on this list is so odd to me. Uh, <laughs> it's true. But I, I want him to stay forever. That's how bad he should feel about all the things that he's done. <laughs> um, post-credits rankings. We've got two to put on we the do. board here. There are two post credit scenes. There's the Thanos scene. Um, which has, uh, you know, some admittedly like wonky effects work. Like, I think, like, CGI Thanos is a little, like, grooty when you, like, stop down and freeze frame it enough. But the promise is perfect. The promise, for me, is a six. It is the same level of exciting promise that you get out of Nick Fury showing up at the end of Iron Man. If Nick Fury shows up at the end of Iron Man and promises that the Avengers are going to happen, Thanos shows up here and promises that Infinity War and Endgame are going to happen. That's a perfect six. Same. Agreed. I mean, it's a perfect six. The promise of what what was to come is incredible and just kind of like, my God, the ball's on them to to go for this. And also, at the time and even now, I just, uh, you know, there's there's a very, very comic book um, reference of that line about courting death which I think is fantastic and, and worked really well for that character. So even the line itself and the delivery I thought was really, really fun. Um, even the, and what's the deal with that? Like he, he and death are like literally like boning out in the comics. Yeah, like basically like in, yeah. in the comics, his motivation is a little bit different is that he's in love with the personification of death. And as you said, wants to bone out quite literally because it's a bony person. Um, and <laughs> uh, so, like that's that's the shtick in the comics is that he's murdering all these people in order to win the affections I think of it's death. Stop! Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So it's a six for Kevin for Thanos. It's a six for me for Thanos. Obviously, I have a big emotional connection to it, so uh, that's going to be a perfect score for me. It's four point nine for the audience, um, and with that, which is significantly under the five point nine for the audience on the Nick Fury of it all. Um, so it's a six. It's a six. It's a four point nine. It gives us a five point six five. It's the second best post-credits ranking uh, to date. Let's see, can Shwarma beat it is the question because Shwarma is on the board as well. Uh, and this is another fact that was collected for us by the great Torby Frazier uh, who, who notes, and I remember reading about this, I remember reporting on this, uh, that Avengers had its world premiere and after its world premiere is when they shot the Shwarma scene. So the shawarma scene was the final thing that they shot for the movie. They premiered it to the world. The scene didn't even exist yet. Chris Evans had a huge freaking beard to be in uh, Snowpiercer, uh, the, the movie that is the basis for the presumably soon-to-be hit TBS, or is it TNT show? TNT. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be very good. Um, he had to wear a prosthetic jaw because of the beard that he had that he couldn't shave. Uh, and it's why you see Chris Evans is like leaning on his hand <laughs> in the shawarma scene. 
the weariness of all of these people eating shawarma after the Battle of New York, while like even like the people who are in the shawarma shop are just like quietly cleaning in the background. Everybody's just exhausted and shell shocked. Um, it's just such a human moment for these superhumans, and it's laugh out loud funny. It's a perfect six for me. It is so funny. And I think it is so funny. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in a movie. Agreed. And something I didn't pick up on the the previous times watching it that really got me this time is that all, as they're all they're exhausted and all just eating uh, and so tired. There's a moment where Bruce Banner, Mark Ruffalo is eating, and you just see him. You know, they're all kind of like looking off in their own head, and you just see him start like doing this like little nod. And it was something that I totally get that moment where you know he's thinking about like something he did or the past or a moment during the yeah. fight that he was like, yeah, remember that? That was good. That was yeah. good. And yeah. it was just such a little like beat that just felt so authentically genuine to like how sometimes we ask when there's act when, when we're quiet and we just like yeah. nod to ourselves. Perfection. It's it, perfect. Six. It it's great. a perfect six moment. And like the opposite of that Thanos scene, but still perfect in its own yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. That's why it's so great. I think the Thanos scene and the shawarma scene uh, really embody why this movie is so awesome. It's like so like adrenaline pumping electric and it's also just like belly burstingly funny. Uh, and that's the shawarma scene in a nutshell. So six from me, a six from Kevin, a 4.3 from the listeners, um, which gives us a 5.45 for that score. So it's behind the Thanos scene. Uh, so the Infinity Stone post-credits rankings, Iron Man's post-credits scene remains at the top. Uh, the double Avengers, double header, Thanos in second, Shawarma in third. The Tesseract in Thor is in fourth, 3.42. Thor's hammer in Iron Man 2 in fifth, 2.71. The Incredible Hulk with the, the Robert Downey Jr. cameo is a 2.27 in sixth. And then bringing up the rear is the, the scene at the end of the first Avenger, Captain America, which is literally just a trailer for this really amazing movie. Uh, we did have another note about the trailer, by the way. This was from Stephen Mock, who, who loves the movie, says, there's so many things I love about the Avengers, and one thing I absolutely hate, and this is what uh, Stephen Mock said, uh, I hate, and it's not the movie's fault, it's the marketing, that Hulk catching Iron Man as he falls back to Earth was spoiled in the trailer. Why? This is why I don't watch trailers anymore, says Stephen Mock. Uh, Kevin Mahadeo famously does not watch trailers either um yes you'll watch like a trailer and then like i got it exactly like if i i don't need to watch it anymore if I, I watch the trailers depending on how sold i am on the movie like if i'm gonna watch a movie regardless i won't watch any trailer um if i'm curious i'll watch the first one i'll be like i'm in i'm out and then i'll never watch again a movie that takes more work i'll probably end up watching all of the trailers like batman yeah. superman i ended up watching everything but you know shots, um, shots. Yeah, I, I try to avoid trailers for this exact reason, especially now, um, and being in marketing, <laughs> having to be the people who help make these trailers, uh, I try to avoid watching them because I know half the time how much goes into it. All right, uh, so those are the post-credits rankings. Uh, Kevin and I are doing uh, what we've called informal stone rankings, where it's just you and I are making decisions together, Kevin, uh, like like true friends, brothers even. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna come to terms. We're gonna make this work. The Kermit and Fozzie um, Bear brothers of this. Uh, am I Fozzie? I think I'm Fozzie, aren't I? <laughs> really? I thought that you were you're more of a Kermit than me. I mean, I would love to be a Kermit, but <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, whatever. You guys can decide who's Fozzie, who's who's Kermy, who's Kermy. Um, informal stone rankings. The final battle rankings. We don't have to talk about this. The Avengers is number one. Absolutely, without question. Not even a contest. Done. 
Done. Uh, the Stanley cameo rankings. I think this is maybe. I don't want to spend a, a ton of time because I'm tired. Let's finish this. <laughs> uh, I think the Incredible Hulk is still number one. You know, he 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 gets gamma radiated in the Incredible Hulk, and that's incredible. And give the Incredible Hulk something while it still can. Um, and then I think four with him like trying to pull Mjolnir is still really good. That's in second place right now. And so I think that the cameo we get in the Avengers is probably of a quality level of the cameo we get from Stanley in Captain America, the first Avenger, uh, in the sense that they're both like kind of blink and you'll miss it. Uh, he's not being like mistaken for uh, Hugh Hefner uh, or Larry, or Larry King. King. Um, but I would rate it higher than the Captain America cameo um, because it comes at the like the like we're we're resolving everything now and we're on like the come down from the high. And you're getting like the world reacting to the existence of the Avengers and the music is really cool and like sort of like somewhere between celebratory and somber, like a serious thing just happened. But they're still able to make jokes on it and Stanley showing up in one of those like quick little video flashes, I think is is cute. So I don't think that's better than Thor or Hulk, but I do think that's better than everything else we've seen. I agree. And I, I'm with you. I think the, the fun thing about this one is that they saved it till the very, very end where you're almost like just like, oh, man, is there no St- Stanley in this movie? And then they kind of right. slot it in there and... Uh, Perfect well, you like play. forget. You're like you're not even looking for it anymore. Right. You get to the end. You're like, oh my god, that's so great. Yeah. This movie's so great. Um. So it's good. It's good. All right. So that's easy. Wow. Look at us yeah. making decisions. Agreeing. Agreeing. I, I, I do. Like friends do. I do have one question for you though. Yeah. Um. Do you do you think that the kid that Hawkeye and Black Widow save from the bus is Black Panther retroactively? No. Um. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Because that's how that would feel, Josh, if they did something like that. It would be pointless and not fun, but ridiculous. Spider-Man lives in Queens. The Stark Expo was in Queens, Kevin. (laughs) We don't know what they could have been doing in in New York at the time. Maybe there was a UN meeting for his dad. Who knows? Who knows, Josh? It's it's stupid (laughs) because he shows up in the continuity like three years later as an adult. (laughs) Kevin? Okay, fair as point. As an adult, as a grown-up. But that kid as an also, adult human. I don't think he would have been like 10 then by the time Spider-Man happened. Spider-Man's like 15. That kid was like 6. It wasn't, yeah, a, so it's, it wasn't a decade later. It's like 7 seven years. When does, when does Captain America's Civil War come out? Uh, when was Civil War? But they have a timeline uh, in the actual Marvel Universe. So Oh, yeah. <laughs> sucks to the timeline the timeline <laughs> no one gives a gives a gunk about the timeline uh 2009 is when iron man 2 comes out right okay and so 2016 is when civil war comes out so seven years seven years right uh and so if he's if he's 15 he'd have to be eight that, that works that works ish again we're good it's him that's the release date i'm talking about the timeline that they establish and when these events take place within the world of the movies why do you hate joy i love also that why we d- ended peacefully and i just have completely destroyed it right now why did you right have now. to do it why did you have to peace do was it? never an option here john peace was never an option all right uh well here's here's some options for you kevin uh we're going out of phase one, but not entirely yet. We're going to keep some some toes dipped in phase one. Next week on the podcast, we'll get into some lingering feedback that people have. Um, if there are things that we that we haven't talked about in our previous discussions that you'd like us to talk about, uh, anyway, glaringly obvious ones too, uh, let us know for sure. We'll get into all of that stuff next week 
on the podcast. We'll also take some stock of Phase 2. I think some predictions for Phase 2 will be fun. Plus other shenanigans. Uh, possible that this will be a long podcast. Who knows? I'd- clear your clear your schedule, Kevin. Be ready. All right, I'll clear my schedule and see what do we're some vocal do. exercises before we we get up to the plate. We're gonna drink a lot of water. water. No, let not a lot of water. Have water. Two drinks. Stay <laughs> hydrated. Have water on hand. Um, no bathroom breaks for you and I. So uh, we'll have to. We're gonna we're gonna have to really strap down when it's time to go next week. <laughs> this is really weird. <laughs> yeah. You're concerning me deeply. I feel like it's possible that the people who are, are uh, regular post-show recap slash RHAP listeners, y- you may be catching on to what might be coming next week. Oh, man. Um, but don't don't tell Kevin if you figured it out. Yeah, I... Uh, you can slide into my DMs on the Instagram, at Round Howard, uh, and we can we can talk about what Kevin is in for if you if you have a sense of what it is that I'm, I'm planning on doing here. Also say, uh, shout out to, to Caitlin on Instagram, who slid into the DMs to say, I just wanted to let you know how much I'm enjoying the Marvel movie podcast. I hope you keep them going. I'm watching the movies for the first time, and it's fun to hear your takes and hear some of the spoiler stuff coming up. You and Kevin are great together, Aww. and it's helping me have something to look forward to during quarantine. Uh, so shout out to Kaylin. Uh, shout out to all of you who are listening to this podcast, making it possible, uh, and giving Kevin and I uh, an excuse to stay very connected during quarantine as well. Uh, it's great that Kevin and I are uh, weekly presences in each other's lives right now. This is amazing. This is a this is a wonderful and amazing thing that happens every week that I'm very happy for in a time of as you said darkness outside. But here everything is super. Everything is super. Kevin, you have some news. Uh, the Mahad Man has a Mahad website. That is correct. I uh, have launched a website. Uh, it took me long enough to ever do this. Um, but you can find me in exactly what Josh said. It is called. It is uh, themahadman.com. That's uh, the M-A-H-A-D man.com. Um, it's essentially a place that I kind of be hosting um, some of my published comic, comic book work that I've done um, as an easy place for people to see it. It'll be updated regularly as exclusivity window closes and some things I've, I've done there. And a place I'm going to post some of my fiction writing. You know, um, I've always wanted to, to write and especially write comic books. Um, it's a difficult industry to break into and... Really, I just want to kind of tell stories and have people read them and enjoy them. So I'm just going to start posting scripts and stuff that I've written, and hopefully people will read them and enjoy them. Um, it's really just a place that I can have all that. Um, so I hope you all check it out. Uh, it's themahadman.com. Um, and yeah, leave me some feedback. Send me some stuff. It'll be put it. Cool. My, my recommendation, Kevin, if you haven't done so already, is uh, make it your, your website on your Twitter profile. Uh, you, can, you can do that. And so people can go on Twitter at Kev Mahadeo. Uh, you'd be able to, to to get the short link there. We'll also include it in our show notes for this podcast. Go support Kevin. What is wrong with you if you do not choose to do this? Kevin is the best. He's also the worst, but he's <laughs> also the best. Uh, please support Kevin. I'm very proud of you. The website's great. Uh, it's got a, a cameo from Kevin's uh, dog, Gus, who is my favorite dog on the planet. He uh, has a wonderful little feature in there that I'm happy with because he should yeah. be everywhere in my life in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Gus gets so excited to see me that when he does, he pees on me. He does. That's how we know he loves you. (laughs) It's so great. It's my favorite thing. All right. Chicanery on the way next week. Get your feedback in if you've got any for just general Marvel Phase 1 and Phase 2 forward-looking stuff. Super at postshowrecaps.com. Subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so already. We are on your podcast app of choice, and your ratings and reviews would be tremendously 
appreciated. Elsewhere on Poster Recaps, Lost Down the Hatch is continuing the whole truth, nothing but the truth. That's what we're getting into on the podcast this week. Ken Hong and I are getting back together very soon for a long overdue edition of our sporadic Final Fantasy VII remake podcast. Um, Kevin, I know you're playing it. No spoilers for you. Don't listen to that one until you're done. Will not be doing so. (laughs) Avoid, avoid. All right, we'll be back next week. Um, Don't stick around for after the credits here. There is no shawarma. Just imagine that Kevin and I have signed off to eat some shawarma. All right, love you all. Mean it. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.